Live and local, this is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. Oh, what a glorious, glorious day it is. Happy Wednesday, hump day, October 19th, the year 2022. It's currently 63 degrees. We dipped down into the 30s when we woke up. Tomorrow, it's going to be as low as 37, but sunny conditions reign supreme. If they could only have this temperature and this climate for Saturday in Death Valley as LSU hosts the Ole Miss Rebels. Good afternoon, everybody. So glad you're with us for the next two hours on a very, very, very busy day with firsts galore. We'll get into all of it here in just a minute. But first, my main man, James Mesh, back in the master control suite in the game studios, which are on the campus of Delta Media, which houses KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're also on in Lake Charles on 1041 FM. We're streaming around the world, 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And if you're in the Acadiana area, you can catch us on the old television set as we're simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and one. 33 on LUS Fiber. Did you miss the headlines of the day? Not to worry. The Blonde Bomber has you covered. Here is Holtberg's headlines. SEC Basketball Media Days concluded today. The LSU men's basketball team under new first-year head coach Matt McMahon picked to finish eighth in the preseason standings. Kentucky's number one, of course. Arkansas two, Tennessee three, Auburn four, Alabama five, Texas A&M six, Florida is seventh. LSU coming in at number eight. K.J. Williams, the transfer uh, that came with Coach McMahon, picked on the second team, the preseason player of the year. Uh, first, last year's player of the year who came back because of all the NIL money, Oscar Shibwe of Kentucky, is picked to be number one. Brian Kelly updated on the SEC teleconference call today. The effectiveness and the availability of a couple of players, Jack Besh and Armani Goodwin. Besh was dressed out in street clothes for the second half of Saturday's game against Florida with a lower back strain. For now, Kelly said Besh will continue to practice punt returns alongside Greg Clayton Jr. Uh, Armani Goodwin, who has missed the last three games with a hamstring injury, also returned to practice on Tuesday. So LSU getting healthier, and that is always a good sign. We'll talk more about the Tigers with Preston Guy at about 2.30. The New Orleans Pelicans open up um, what could be uh, a very promising season tonight. Their opponent, 
The last time we saw them play, they were getting the brooms out as the Boston Celtics took care of business against the Brooklyn Nets and disposed of them. Now the Brooklyn Nets are all back together with their starting five of former LSU Tiger Ben Simmons at the point, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Royce O'Neal, and Nick Claxton. They'll go up against C.J. McCollum, Herb Jones, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Jonas Valanciunas. This game may come down to who has the better banks? There's a lot of scoring power along the ways, and um, it'll be a packed house in Brooklyn. The Nets will not have Joe Harris nor Seth Curry tonight. So that certainly takes away a lot of some outside shooting prowess for Brooklyn. The Pels are healthy. They are happy. They are confident. We'll see what they can do on the road. Shamit Dua will um, join us here in just a few minutes and we'll preview um, the 82-game marathon sprint for the New Orleans Pelicans. And a lot of people are picking them as their surprise team, a team that can go a long way. And if they stay healthy, they could do some damage uh, in the NBA, we saw last night how good the Boston Celtics are as they took care of business against the Philadelphia 76ers. And we saw that fine tuned engine known as the Golden State Warriors. They got their rings, their fourth NBA championship rings last night. And it was like it was like a homecoming game in high school football or in college football for the most part, where you schedule that team that you know you're going to beat so you can keep all your alumni happy and have a good celebration. That's what it felt like watching the Golden State Warriors play the L.A. Lakers. My goodness. They're just not good. They're just not good. And I see this season for the Lakers like this. I see... Everybody's celebrating the journey of LeBron James in his 20th season as he goes to surpass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. I see a team with players trying to get stats. I see Russell Westbrook out there going, throw me some crumbs and committing turnovers. And he played okay, but he's just not the same. So anyway, the NBA season uh, begins. Oh, it's a historical day in Major League Baseball. And it has some, uh, some really good ties to here. Aaron Nola and Austin Nola, two former LSU Tigers, two big leaguers. They're about to make postseason history. The two brothers, Aaron, who pitches for the Philadelphia Phillies, and Austin, the catcher for the San Diego Padres, will face off against one another today in game two of the NLCS. Aaron is scheduled to be the starter. It'll be the first time two siblings have ever faced one another as pitcher and batter in Major League Baseball postseason history. The two have faced one another six times in the regular season, with Austin managing a hit, a walk, and two strikeouts. That hit was a big one, with Austin slapping a go-ahead RBI single that proved the difference in a one-zip Padres win over the Phillies in June. Well, last night in Major League Baseball, uh, the Phillies um, had a great, great pitching performance, and they won game one of the National League Championship Series by the score of two to zip. Bryce Harper hit another 
postseason home run. And then Kyle Schwarber just took one downtown. And uh, that was all she wrote as um, the Phillies get the win to zip. Uh, Zach Wheeler was the winner. Seven innings pitched, eight strikeouts, one walk. The Padres were limited to one hit on the day. So pitching is everything, right? Pitching is everything. Phillies get three hits. Padres only get one. It's a two-zip win for the Phillies in game one. The Astros will take on the Yankees today because Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge both hit home runs yesterday in a winner-take-all game five, and the Yankees win it five to one. They celebrated by spraying champagne over everybody. Then they got on a plane, and they will play against the Astros today. Uh, Speaking of which, we'll have the game for you, right? Of course we will. The fourth time since 2015, the New York Yankees and the Houston Astros will meet in the postseason. Game one of the American League Championship Series is tonight. You can listen to it live here on the game. First pitch set for 637. Tune in tonight for Yankees at Astros on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Pitching advantage, starters, bullpen, all in favor of the Houston Astros. Eddie Yarnell played for the Yankees, big leaguer, um, All-American at LSU. He'll preview game one of the series. Michael Huguenin will join us in the second hour as well. We'll talk about uh, just a phenomenal week seven of the college football season. And then we'll preview this upcoming week number eight with a big one in the Pac-12. Chip Kelly, one of the few remaining teams that are undefeated with UCLA traveling to take on his former college team, the Oregon Ducks. And we'll get his thoughts on Ole Miss at LSU and a bunch of other other good games, including um, did anybody think Syracuse would be where they are undefeated right now, taking on Clemson in death in the in the fake Death Valley of um, of Clemson? Yeah. So we've got Pels. We've got LSU Ole Miss. We've got Major League Baseball with Houston and the Yankees, and we got everything in college football. And we're going to try and do all of that within the next hour and 45 minutes. So I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to throw it to break. When we come back, Pels, Nets, Shamit Duo will preview game one of the 82-game NBA marathon after this timeout on the Jordy Hultberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. You're home for the LSU Tigers. And and it, t- it took a while for the Yankees to get back to this spot. Astros haven't left the Houston Astros here in southwest Louisiana. We'll be right back. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. 
Oh, for us that love the game of basketball, it's like Christmas morning today because the NBA is opening up for the New Orleans Pelicans and around the league. We saw some games last night with uh, Boston taking care of Philly and that fine-tuned machine known as the Golden State Warriors just no contest against the against the LA Lakers but tonight it's the Pelicans versus the Brooklyn Nets i had to call um the resident guru uh, is a content writer for Boot Crew Media, uh, Bourbon Street Shots. He's on TV with WDSU. He is a media mogul, Shamit Dua. It's been too long, Shamit, but I'm so thankful to get you on opening night, buddy. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Opening night is like Christmas Day for yep. myself, and you know, there's no better time to hop on the show and, and chat basketball. So we got that big present under the tree and we're so anxious to open it up when we finally open it up and we it's got pelicans written on it. What do we see? What are we going to find in that present, do you think? Oh, I hopefully a win, <laughs> but definitely some Zion Williamson minutes, some Brandon Ingram minutes, some CJ McCollum minutes, and just a whole lot of general excitement. But I'm really open for that win. I'm with you. Um, everybody knows about. Uh, I'm curious in matchups. Okay, so it's all about matchups, and 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 both teams have a lot of firepower. So, do you see Kevin Durant and Brandon Ingram matching up, guarding each other? Is that is that what you foresee? That's a great question. So, I think there's an argument to be made to put Herb Jones on Kevin Durant, and and leave C.J. McCollum on Kyrie Irving, but you could also want to put Herb Jones on Kyrie Irving. And I think the question becomes, and where do you put CJ? And you could say, well, put him on Ben Simmons. He might not do anything. Uh, I still think creating size mismatches is perhaps not the way to go. So I would put Brandon Ingram on Ben Simmons or Zion Williamson on Ben Simmons, uh, put Herb Jones on Kevin Durant and leave CJ McCollum on uh on Kyrie Irving and then okay. you know the person between Zion and Brandon Ingram who doesn't have a matchup can guard Royce O'Neal. Okay, it, it helps that Joe Harris and Seth Curry will not be available for Brooklyn. Those are two outstanding outside shooters. Both teams with their big, you know, Irving and Durant can score. I think McCullum, Ingram and Williamson combined those three are going to score more does this come down to who has the better bench and if so isn't that the pelicans you would you would hope so right uh with the injuries that the brooklyn nets have uh the depth that the pelicans have displayed uh so far in the preseason you would hope so it's the bench but you know i i think it's going to come down to rebounding and i think the pelicans are the better rebounding team uh, Brooklyn Nets aren't very big on the inside. They're probably mm-hmm. going to play a lot of small ball. And if the, Penish, the Pelicans can punish them on the glass, punish them on the interior, uh, score in the paint, they should have a much easier time. And I think, you know, you bring it back to the bench, the Pelicans bench is well-equipped to do that. You know, they have um, Larry Nance Jr. They have Billy Hernan Gomez. Jackson Hayes is questionable, so we don't know if he's playing or not. Um, and, you know, depending on who, how they're going to stagger Jonas and, and Zion, the Pelicans should hold a clear advantage in, in the interior. So uh, that's what I'm looking for. Two players I thought were key, um, Trey Murphy and their first-round draft choice. Um, what, do you, what have you seen from them, and do you like their future, and the future is now? 
Yeah, I mean, look, I think the Pelicans so far have done a great job uh, of accumulating young players, drafting right, scouting right. Um, as as you know, the second year players uh, head into their their sophomore season. Trey Murphy, Herb Jones. I think there's a lot going to be expected of them with Jose Alvarado, Dyson mm-hmm. Daniels. Their their most recent draft pick uh, is another one that they look like they have hit on, and it seems like they have this penchant of picking up players who make big defensive plays and play high IQ basketball, and they entrust that their uh, coaching staff, particularly Fred Vinson, can can fix any shooting uh, shooting wow. issues that these players might have. So uh, so far, that that's been pretty on the money, and, and Fred Vinson has uh, done a tremendous job with these players, and uh, you would hope that they can continue to develop, uh, specifically with Dyson. Um, I think he's going to be a big part of the team, and he should get minutes sooner rather than later. So, I mean, I get the impression back when I was doing the games with the Hornets um, and they had Chris Paul and David West and Peja Soryakovich and Tyson Chandler. Uh, that was like a um, it was like a college team, uh, a high school team. They all got along well and they all uh, wanted to do well for one another. I kind of get a similar feel about this team. They seem to all get along together. They're smiling. They have a coach that uh, they trust, they respect, and he feels the same about them. Do you get that similar vibe? I think so. Absolutely. There's just a closeness about this team that is, in my opinion, unique and, and not found elsewhere in the NBA. You've seen the players right. talk about it. You've seen the, the coaching staff talk about it. And it, it just seems they are all very much invested in each other's success and fighting towards one common goal. I think oftentimes in the NBA, it's not necessarily about having the most talented team. It's about having the team where everyone's pulling on the same rope towards the same objective. And it it seems like the Pelicans are on their way uh, to building such a team and and may already have one. Shamit Dewar with us, Bourbon Street Shots, amongst the many things that uh, he's involved with. Um, I was was wondering how, you know, this team was clicking very well at the end of the year. And I was wondering, okay, yes, you always want talent. So you bring Zion, he's healthy. How do you incorporate him? How do you get enough shots for players that are used to getting a certain amount of shots in Brandon Ingram and in CJ McCollum? What have you seen through a couple of preseason games and how this is all going to look and how they've incorporated this and how egos are in check? Well, we haven't seen them in the preseason, right? The Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and C.J. McCollum did not play a game together That's in true. the preseason. You know, we've had two of the three um, in different instances, and, and that's worked well, but not never all three at the same time. So I anticipate there is going to be a learning curve, but I think the, the key here is they are all excellent playmakers for their position. They're willingly share the ball and create shots for their teammates. And, and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, they have a common objective, which is to win games. And I think there will be nights where one of them is having a better night than the other. And then the others are happy to feed into that, happy to um, make that person excel and, and showcase them that night. So I really don't anticipate there being an issue in terms of sharing the ball. Uh, I just think it's going to be like a, a chemistry thing in, in terms of learning how to play with each other to become the most efficient they can possibly be. Uh, we see the, um, the return to the floor for the first time in a year for two number one picks, Ben Simmons, the former LSU Tiger with Brooklyn. Um, 
via Philly and, of course, Zion. Um, what impact do you consider Ben Simmons to have with Brooklyn this year? That's, that's a big question that Brooklyn is themselves asking. You know, they invested a lot in making sure that he is, one, ready to play, two, that he is in Brooklyn, period, because uh, they had to give up a superstar uh, in, in, in order to make that trade happen. Yeah. In James Harden. So, you know, you have to see, like, okay, well, this is the centerpiece we got back from that trade. Uh, hopefully we can build a, a contender with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving around him. I think they're going to play a lot of small ball with him. They're going to try different lineups where he's playing the center position. Um, I think offensively that's going to make them very potent, but mm -hmm. that's just more of a product of those other two players, those superstars in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Mm -hmm. And and so we'll see. Uh, I, I just don't, again, I, I go back to the rebounding. I go back to the interior present. I, I welcome them to try to play small against the Pelicans, and hopefully uh, the Pelicans don't get caught up in trying to match their size because there is a very clear advantage here. Uh, but other than that, you know, hopefully Ben Simmons, uh, for his sake, can have a resurgent season, play you know the the defense that he's known to play, and um, be effective in in enabling those other shooters uh, that are around him. Chairman, I'm curious as to what may Willie Green and maybe um, the front office is thinking. Last year, they got off to such a slow start. Man, they had to fight and climb and scratch and claw just to make it into the play-in round. Um, with that being said, a good start is, I think, very, very important for this club. Do you see starters getting major minutes or do you see this thing just slowly evolving through the course of the year i personally don't think that they should take this slow you can't take wins for granted and you can't take anything um as you. a given so so i believe that they should do what it takes to win these games hopefully they're talented enough and their bench is deep enough to where they don't have to uh, run their starters to the ground early. You know, that was one of the things with, with Jonas. They were playing in heavy minutes early last year. Brandon Ingram, when he, you know, when he wasn't missing the, those early games, the, he was playing a lot of minutes. They had to rely on that. The, the goal here is they don't have to this time around because of the talent they have on their team. But if that's what it takes, in my opinion, they should not hold back on that. I'm with you. Um, a big start is is uh, is significant, without question, without doubt. I, I believe it. Um, I just kind of get the feeling. Um, and you you go to practices at the end. You see them. You you see how they interact. I got a funny feeling deep down and in, inside. They really believe they're good, and that has not always been the case. And it, it's a legitimate feeling. It's not a fake feeling. You know what I mean? And I, I just get that sense. Yeah, I mean, look, it's an exciting time uh, ahead for the franchise. Uh, you know, the the city is, is rallied behind them. Uh, I'm curious to see where the watch parties are going to be tonight. Um, you know, the just from inside the building to outside the building, just seems like there is a genuine amount of excitement for for Pelicans basketball. So, uh, hopefully, the you know the the fans can be rewarded by Pelican success and wins, um, but. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a good time to be a basketball fan. Yeah, one game does not a season make, nor does it uh, a season break. But uh, the spotlights, I am shocked that this game is not on national television. They picked uh, New York and Memphis, the Knicks. Really? 
I, I'm shocked by that, but whatever. It doesn't matter. They'll have plenty of games on uh, in the national spotlight. But but this is a chance to send the message to a lot of people who are saying, okay, uh, this was a good team at the end of the season a year ago. They gave Phoenix everything they wanted in the playoffs, and now they've got Zion. So let's see if they're legit or not. And uh, this is a prime opportunity for it. Yeah, those national TV games can be a double-edged sword. You know, the, we've, we've seen in years past where they've gotten a, a large slate of those games uh, in anticipation of Zion, and they just yeah. haven't uh, had Zion available on the floor to, to live up to those expectations. And now, in my opinion, they're, uh, they have less um, less of those games, and I think that's good because it allows them to sort of fly under the radar and, and not have to mm-hmm. deal with those kind of expectations on a night in night out basis. Um, but I, you know, I, I think it's just not going to be a very long time before the broadcasters start uh, usurping games from other teams that aren't as good and putting Zion uh, back on the air. I think that that's going to happen. Last one. Um, we all know how good Golden State is. They seem to have gotten even better from what I saw night last night. Um, Kawhi's back with the Clippers. You've got some, you know, some other players uh, at Denver coming back. Murray. Uh, so the West is loaded. When all said and done, how do, if if the Pels stay healthy, what, what's your prognostication for them this year? Well, I've been saying home court team all all summer long. I'm not going to back off that claim. I think they're a three or four seed. Uh, nice. when things are all said and done, and they will be hosting a playoff series come April. Nice, nice, nice. Shamit, welcome to Christmas Day, my friend. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Merry Pelicans Day. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Merry Pelicans Day. All right, Shamit, do it with us. Pels, Brooklyn Nets tonight, season opener. They'll play in Charlotte on Friday, home opener against Utah Sunday evening in a sold-out Smoothie King Center. If you want to be one of the first people to see Black Panther Wakanda forever, then text PANTHER to 337-283-8100 for your chance to win a spot for two on the guest list for a private viewing of Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, at Celebrity Theaters in Broussard on November the 10th. Once again, text PANTHER, P-A-N-T-H-E-R, to 337-283-8100 to win tickets for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, brought to you by the game, Celebrity Theaters, and Sherman Insurance. All right, when we return, as we roll on on this Wednesday, October 19th, the Rebel, the running Rebels, and I'm not talking about UNLV basketball. I'm talking about Ole Miss football. Can the Tigers slow down the rushing attack of the Rebs? Preston Guy will join us next, and we'll discuss that and more when we return to the Jordy Helper Show on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 35 minutes after they are. Welcome back to this uh, Wednesday, October 19th edition. LSU versus Ole Miss this Saturday, 2.30 kickoff on CBS. And, of course, you can turn down the sound on your television set and listen to the game here on 103.7 
Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. LSU pulling out all the stops. Their guest captains this week, four former greats, Kevin Falk, Eric Reed, Dalton Hilliard, and the Rustin Rifle, Burt Jones. Preston Guy covers LSU football for TigerBait.com. He's kind enough to join us. Preston, what's happening, buddy? How are you? <laughs> hey, Jordy. Nice to see you again, man. Thanks for not being a stranger this time of year. I'm telling you, I'm getting better about remembering my friends, man. It's a, it's a, it's a bad trait. I got, I got to get better. It's like remembering yeah. birthdays. I, I can't forget those kind of things. All right. Um, were you surprised uh, at how LSU handled things in the swamp last Saturday? Oh, absolutely. I was not necessarily that they won how they won is what got me. It's, I mean, I, I can't even remember the last time LSU scored on its opening six drives. It was just touchdown, 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 touchdown. I, it yeah. was unreal to see and witness. And I, I think that had a lot to do with Florida's uh, defensive collapse. But at the same time, give Jaden Daniels and the LSU offense its credit. They were very aggressive. Um, you know, one of the touchdowns was a free play. and They, they executed it perfectly to Jure Jenkins. So the way they won surprised me because in its last five Power 5 games, the offense had sputtered and gotten to slow starts in all five attempts. So it was, a, it was a whole new offense we saw in the first half last week. Dare I say that this club has become has gone from being a defensive-oriented club to an offensive-oriented club, like overnight? Uh, you know, I'm not there yet, Jordy. Uh, I want to see it. More than yeah. one game, and I want to see it against a team like an Ole Miss before I yeah. say they've actually turned that corner. Um, uh, you know, Florida was in a similar situation to LSU, except for instead of finding, you know, uh, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow with, with Jaden Daniels coming in, who has been LSU's entire offense, they're stuck with Anthony Richardson, who can't consistently throw the ball and make those basic throws that you need to, and he's turning the ball over, which Jaden Daniels is not. He's completing uh, 69% of his passes while uh, he's up to 2,000 total yards and 16 touchdowns this year. So uh, I want to see it against a team that's got a little more continuity of its roster, a more consistent, established coach. We'll see. Maybe they've turned that corner. I'm just not sold yet. I'm with you 1,000%, but you got we got to tip our cap to um, Sloan, Denbrock, and Jaden Daniels because it looked like the light came on. I don't know what they did. I don't know how they did it, what they devised, but, man, they, they flipped the switch. Well, and I'm going to give Brian Kelly some credit, too, because that's one thing we haven't done at LSU in a very long time is when a unit starts performing better, We've always looked to our position coaches and coordinators. No, Brian Kelly is actually calling some shots and doing some scheme stuff. I mean, against okay. Tennessee, he got in Jaden Daniels' face when he did not throw the ball and instead took off and run. You can see it on TV, read his lips. He yelled at him, that's expletive one-on-one coverage. Take your throw. Yeah. And that's something we haven't seen from LSU's head coach in a while. So I'm giving a lot of credit to Kelly, too, for that. Um, yeah, they get an A-plus this week. Uh, to see if this is a turn-the-corner maturation and growth for the offense versus a, well, you had one good week against Florida, well, we'll get right. that test right now this week in right. Baton Rouge for a top-ten team Ole Miss. 
Preston Guy, TigerBait.com with us. You're absolutely correct. And I had said after the Tennessee debacle, and we find out Tennessee's pretty darn good. Um, how would how would LSU respond? How, are they fragile? Or are they going to be tough? And they, How are they going to respond? Well, we saw how they did. Now the big question is, can they be consistent like that? And this game, to me, comes down to – the LSU defense against Ole Miss's running game. Oh, uh, I mean, you can talk about Lane Kiffin throwing the ball, and you know when he has a throwing quarterback at all, that's great. But they found a running game. Can LSU's front seven slow down a team that averages over 200 yards a game on the ground? And that you know you're just gonna have to hope. Um, it, it, I think a lot of that depends on how much can you rely on Harold Perkins for this game because I think yeah. talent wise. Athletic ability-wise, he's one of your best linebackers in the country. Um, but he doesn't have that playbook mastered yet. And kudos to LSU's coaches for realizing that and still finding a way to get him on the field in a limited capacity. We remember talented linebackers in the past, like Kendall Beckwith. They just put him on, put his hand in the dirt and had him rushing the quarterback on third down. Yeah. That's not a great use of a talent like a linebacker like him. And what they're doing is – just ease him in, and, and hopefully he gets to see a good dose of Ole Miss this week because he will help stop the run tremendously. Uh, losing Mason Smith this week, is this is a week it's going to hurt you a lot. Right. Um, but make no mistake, Jackson Dart can throw it around too. I agree. Uh, so but I, you, can, but you can't commit to the run. I agree. But, boy, they run the ball. Look, this is a very good team. There's no question about that. And they're very good at uh, uh, getting to the quarterback. They're, what, second in the league in sacks? Uh, but I, I like Jaden Daniels and his ability to, to maneuver around with that aspect. No doubt. Uh, I'm going to tell you the key to winning this game is can you run the ball against this Ole Miss defense that has not stopped the run very well. And, unfortunately, LSU's not very equipped to take advantage of that, in my opinion. Um, their second-leading rusher behind Jaden Daniels is Josh Williams. And last week yeah. he did have a 100-yard performance against Florida. About half of that came on one run, though. Um, right. And LSU does not have the running back depth to run its offense the way it wants. That's period. I mean, all the work Brian Kelly's done, this, it's, it's, like a, it's like a yacht that you put together back with flex seals. I mean, yeah, you patch the holes, but it's not where you want it to be. It's going to take them some time. They got about, you know, mid 60s scholarship players. Uh, and that's not where you want to be going into mm -hmm. SEC. You got two backs giving you quality carries right now. And basically, you're throwing Jaden Daniels out there. You say, run the ball, throw the ball. This is your offense. It's your team. Go at it, dog. <laughs> and get why, what you why, can. Why do you think this game is a pick em? Man, that is wild. The bookkeepers in Vegas like LSU a lot this week. Yeah. I think they saw a lot of kinks in the armor against Auburn, and I did too. Um, I, I've kind of moved into the I have faith in Lane Kiffin where he's a good coach and responds well to adversity. Um, this will be a test for him to see does his team you know, mentally collapse after having a week showing against Auburn, or do they bounce back and look strong? I'm on the boat that they look strong. I'm taking Ole Miss 31-21. Not that I'm hoping for that. I just I understand. That's, that's where I'm at. Um, but, you know, Vegas has LSU favored, um, last I checked. And that, that is surprising. I think that that's a very good, a good sign for LSU fans. You should be optimistic seeing that. Um, based on the way the teams played last week, you, LSU would win if they played last week. But mm -hmm. I, 
again, can LSU duplicate that, or will we see more of that sputtering, inconsistent offense that, you know, with offensive line struggles, will special teams continue to be abhorrent? Um, You know, I I, I don't see any hopes for special teams. Uh, And the offense, I I mean, based on statistics, I have to believe that they're going to be inconsistent and sputter, but maybe they did turn. If they turn the corner on that offense and play like they get against Florida, they will win. And if they can get things together on special teams – and continue to play like that on offense, and the defense can continue to look sharp, I mean, watch out. This LSU team might win out. If they can do all three of those things, watch out. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Um, Man, um, wow. I I just was wondering if Florida had – if the score was the opposite and Florida had won last week 45-35, how many people would have been screaming that, I told you you should have hired Napier. I told you. (laughs) <laughs> you know, all of them would be a lot, and a lot of LSU fans might have hopped on that bus, even though yeah. it's still way too premature to Absolutely. make that decision. But based off of their body of work, I mean, you can't compare Brian Kelly to Billy Napier. We're talking about no. the college football coach with the most wins right now to a guy who was at UL. You know, like the, right. it's just apples yeah. to oranges. It one's an up and comer, one's. Yep you know, a proven commodity who's been to the playoff or championship three times. Yeah. Um, I did have Gilbo on my show, Glenn Gilbo, who's been taking a lot of heat last night on that. If y'all <laughs> want to go check that out. I read a lot oh, of uh, LSU's mean tweets about his Billy Napier takes and uh, saying LSU didn't have the gut to go for Billy Napier when they should have. But uh, uh, y'all gotta, LSU you, made you the gotta right understand. time will tell. Y'all got to figure Glenn out. He does that stuff for a reason. Come on now. Anyway, I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> Not only do you cover football, but you cover recruiting as well. This season's been ups and downs and some ups and some downs. Um, it's recruiting going for LSU for this upcoming campaign. Yeah, well, they are working hard. Um, they've kind of moved into this 2024 class with most of their 20. 20- 23 class filled out most of their core pieces um okay. last i my sources have told me they're looking to sign 28 to 30 guys in 2023 so they're going to be adding a few more chunks they're going to be working on guys like Derek williams the safety out of westgate who's committed to texas but of course bama is also in on that hard and you know that's that's a hard match for anybody to go in on. I do know he has family members who are hardcore on LSU, and he's a Louisiana kid, so there's going to be a lot of pressure. Um, but they've, they've got the core of this class built. They're moving on to 2024, um, and they've got a lot of good quarterbacks they're looking at. They're, they're, you know, DJ Lagway is a five-star kid out of Houston they're working on. Justin Sayan is a five-star quarterback out of California who's been on okay. campus uh, recently. Um, you know, they, they've, they, it's, it's going well. But, of course, during the season, it's usually during summer you're going to see that just, you know, rush of commitments and signing day. Right, um, right. I mean, I don't have anybody on my radar I expect to commit uh, before November. But, again, just it's, it's, someone will. You know, like it always happens. Someone will. But they're doing a strong effort in recruiting. Um, Brian Polian, as much, you know, heat as he's taking as the special teams coach, He's on it in the recruiting front. And Jordan Arsimont, those guys, all of them, they're doing a lot of work right now. Um, I mean, anytime you get two five-star quarterbacks on your campus to come see you play New Mexico, <laughs> you were doing yeah, some work. Really? really. I- I'm wondering if 
teams are still out there talking to a kid like Arch Manning. Uh, Texas looks pretty good with that Ewers kid, and he isn't he a freshman? Um, I'm just I'm just curious. Well, he's draft eligible next year, and uh, I think Arch Manning. The, the plan with him is definitely not to play him as a true freshman. They want to redshirt him. So Quinn okay. Ewers will be draft eligible next year, and you want to redshirt him anyways. Um, I, I don't think he's scared away at all. Um, okay. I, I, I expect that one to stick. I don't expect LSU to go after him. I think they're happy with Ricky Collins. Uh, okay. I think that their evaluation of Ricky Collins was as high as anybody in the state. Um, Eli Holstein is who I think the best on-field player in the state was, but you know he has history with Walker Howard. They both played together at St. Thomas right. More, and um, you know. Uh, he, uh, he had Don't. to transfer out. Eli Holstein did. They they weren't going to play together in college. Right. Uh, Arch Manning and um, uh, Arch's dad and Walker's dad, Jamie Howard, they're good friends. Yeah. They didn't want their sons playing together in college. So, um, yeah, I, I think Ricky Collins was the guy they really wanted. After, after they missed on the national five-star guys, mm-hmm. it was all Ricky Collins. In fact, I went to a camp uh, where, you know um, – both those guys, Arch Manning and Ricky Collins, were there. No one went to do- talk to uh, Arch Manning. They all, Brian Kelly, Sloan, all of them went straight to Ricky Collins while he was a Purdue commit, and Arch Manning was uncommitted at the time. So I think wow. that speaks a lot of volumes to me. It does speak volumes, but I think I think they're very high on Mr. Walker Howard. I think they think the future is his, don't you? I think next year is his. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm, I'm with you. toward right now. Um, build around him. He's got the most talent on this team by far. They're doing the right thing right now by letting him sit back and learn. I think you can do a lot of bad things by throwing a a young quarterback in before he's ready. So I I think next year is his team. We'll see. A lot of that depends on what Jaden Daniels decides to do. I know for a fact his plan coming into LSU was to come in, play well, and go go to the NFL. Um, so he, he, he's certainly playing well enough to go to the NFL, but I don't know how highly he'd be drafted. I, I think right now he'd be like a fourth or fifth round pick. At the highest, yes, at right. the highest. At that position, I'm with you. All right, dude, um, so you got Ole Miss winning it 31-21, something like that? That's exactly what I've got. All right, we'll see. You'll you'll be the one getting the hate mail now. But hey, you gotta you gotta be honest. You gotta speak the truth, and you know, I like that about you. I like what it. I try to do, we'll man. see. I mean, look, I, I went to LSU just like a lot of your listeners. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm happy to be wrong. I'm happy to accept your hate. Absolutely, if I'm wrong. You know. Uh, I, and I got a gut feeling that LSU is going to come up and win this darn thing. I don't know why. I just got a gut feeling. So we shall see. Um, we'll talk soon, my friend. Enjoy the week and uh, the weekend, man. Thank you so much. All right. See you later, Jordy. All right. Preston Guy with TigerBait.com. Uh, make sure to join RP3 in the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, this Saturday from 11 till 1 at the Heritage Housing at 3350 North Frontage Road in the beautiful village of Jennings. Swing by and register to spin the prize wheel for a chance to score a pair of McNeese football tickets and more prizes. So make sure this Saturday, You and yours swing by Heritage Housing in Jennings. CRP3, swing the prize wheel. You can score some free 
McNeese football ducats, and more. We'll come back. We'll wrap up our number one. Set the stage for our number two here on the Jordy Helper Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros in southwest Louisiana. Jordy Holberg has been a star on the hardwood and in the broadcast booth. But did you know he was also a star on the dance floor? When you wash your hair, you know, I work on my hair a long time and you can hit my hair. John Travolta ain't got nothing on the blonde bomber. Now back to the man with all the moves. Jordy Holberg and the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Well, welcome back. Not only did Alabama lose the game against Tennessee, but apparently uh, video has been distributed of wide receiver Jermaine Burton's exit from the field, in uh, which a fan said Burton smacked her in the back of her head. Uh, Nick Saban said, we are aware of the situation with Jermaine Burton as he was exiting the field Saturday. We are currently working to gather more information. A video filmed from the Neyland Stadium crowd Saturday posted on TikTok Tuesday showing Tennessee fans storming the field. Burton is seen walking back toward the locker room through Vols fans who were celebrating the win. Emily Isaacs, who posted the video to her TikTok account, wrote in the caption, Jermaine Burton smacking me in the head while walking past him after their loss Saturday. That is not a good thing to do. So we'll see uh, representatives from the Knoxville and University of Tennessee Police Departments told the Tuscaloosa News that the incident has not been reported as of this afternoon. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, Coming up, our number two, Eddie Yarner will join us. We'll talk Major League Baseball playoffs and Mike Hugan, and we'll talk college football. What a week seven it was. How close can week eight come to that? All coming your way. Our number two of the Jordy Helper Show here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros in southwest Louisiana. Live and local, this is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. Hour number two of two and away we go on this Wednesday, October 19th, the year 2022. The NBA is underway. It's opening night for the Pelicans as uh, Zion and company are in Brooklyn to take on Durant, Kyrie, Ben Simmons, and the rest of the Nets. Um, We've got Saints football on Thursday against the Cardinals in Arizona. We've got LSU versus Ole Miss Saturday at 2.30 in Tiger Stadium. And we got Major League Baseball. Game one of the National League Championship Series last night, pitching at a premium. Uh, the Phillies allow only one hit. They get a two-zip shutout over the Padres to take a best-of-seven series lead, one zip. And thanks to beating the Guardians last night 5-1 to one with Giancarlo Stanton going yard and 
Aaron Judge taking it out the park. The Yankees beat the Guardians 5-1, and they advance to the ALCS, which begins tonight in Houston. I got a call on my ex-big leaguer, the former All-American uh, on the mound, the lefty Eddie Arnold, to kind of talk postseason baseball with us. Eddie, good afternoon. I, I talk to basketball people. They say, like, today is Christmas morning. This guy has got to be like Christmas Day for baseball uh, lovers, right? You must feel like you're getting ready to open up a big present. It is, Jordy. I mean, and just in general, I mean, what, this is a pretty good time for sports, right? I mean, like you said, the yes. NBA opens up. We got playoff baseball. We got NFL football, college yep. football. I mean, I get, we got it all going. So, uh, yeah, but definitely, definitely excited. this is the time of year that uh, baseball fans and baseball guys definitely love. So, uh, Before we get into it. that. Before we get to Astros Yankees, how about the first time in Major League Baseball history you got Aaron Nola on the mound for Philly pitching to his brother, the catcher Austin Nola from San Diego? That's never happened before in the postseason. No, not a, not not facing off batter's box pitchers. Not right. Obviously, you know the Alomar brothers, and there's been plenty of brothers before to, yeah. um, to, to do that, a play against each other in regular season. But in postseason, no, man. And and they, you know, of course, they're joking. You know, Austin's, I guess, running the hitters meetings now for for today. As long as Aaron's in there, I mean, he, I think he said he pretty much caught every one of his bullpens this off season. And you know, obviously, being brothers, you know, you know him better than almost anybody else other than their parents. Right. So, uh, cool, interesting dynamic and, and, and very proud moment for Baton Rouge. All right, Eddie Arnold with us. Game one of the ALCS tonight, Minute Maid Park, 637 first pitch. Jamison Tyon for the Yankees, Justin Verlander. Look, for the Astros, pitching's everything, right? Don't the Astros have the better starters? Don't the Astros have the better bullpen? Yeah, the, the ageless one, it seems like Justin Verlander, right? But, no, you're absolutely yeah. right. I mean, look, Framber Valdez and Verlander and, you know, even McCullers is back healthy. I mean, look, this is the the, the typical, right, on paper, you know, yeah. matchup-wise and everything else looks the way it's supposed to look for the for the Astros, right? I mean, obviously yeah. they're the better team. They've, they've been more consistent all year. The Yankees had a great first half, kind of, you know, played exactly 500 ball second half. But, uh it's postseason baseball, man, and, and and the one thing you can't discount, and, and you know they got the five six seed going in the NL, the right. one two in the AL, right? Seeds wise, um, you, you can't discredit the the value of playing meaningful, consistent baseball over the last week and a half, two weeks. I mean, look, the Astros have played three games in thirteen days, Jordy. I don't know. Right. I don't know if that's going to affect them a lot. I mean, it seemed to. Seemed to affect Altuve a little bit. Yep. He's the key, right? He's like 0 for 16. So he's got to be he the catalyst for the Astros. How much, uh, I mean, you play baseball is an everyday thing. And like you mentioned, the Astros haven't played in a while. The Yankees just were popping champagne last night, had to get on a flight, <laughs> and they played a day. Who, who has the advantage? I mean, again, like you said, I mean, obviously Houston's, you know, rotation and, and they're rested and, and, and set up well for this. I mean, we have, you know, the Yankees have Jamison Tyone, who obviously isn't, you know, he would have pitched if they didn't get rained out. He was going to mm-hmm. pitch game five against Cleveland, I think. Uh, you know, they got the extra day, so they went with Nestor. But uh, obviously Houston has the edge in, in every everything, except I feel like hitting, because hitting is way more, I mean, I think rest benefits the pitcher more than the hitter 
Okay. I mean, the timing and, and getting in there and having the competitive at-bats. I mean, yeah, you get repetition batting practice, but you can't duplicate 100 miles an hour and, and the break on some of these pitches. So mm-hmm. um, the momentum favors New York. I mean, conventional wisdom says Houston, but of course you know where I'm going with it. So, Of course you are, the former <laughs> Yankee himself. Isn't, the, isn't it true if you're going to get to Verlander, you better get to him early because once he gets into a groove, you can forget it. Yeah, that's been the M.O. probably after the first couple years of his career where he kind of figured out, like, hey, I don't need to come out and throw 100 right away. I kind of build into it. And and that's the most starting pitchers, right? But, I mean, look, his last outing was less than stellar. I mean, Seattle got to him for six in, uh, I think, around four innings. So uh, he's not he's not been pitching extremely well. I mean, and Jamison Tyone, shoot, he ain't started in, you know, a couple weeks, you know, either. So, uh I think I think we talked about the pitching, but here's where I think it comes down to, Jordy, and, and right. why. I mean, look, Yankees aren't going to pitch to Valdez, Jordan, Alvarez. Right. Uh, I think Bregman's going to have to have a good series for them, and, of course, Altuve can't go over. But it's real simple with the Yankees. If the big three hit, they win. If they struggle, they lose. I mean, if Rizzo, Stanton, and Judge, I'm not talking about hit 500 for the series, but, you know, mm-hmm. hit their homers and, you know, they hit in the high twos, 300, ish combined batting average for the series i think they'll be fine but if they come in and, and, and struggle and uh you know that's the only good sign coming in if santon and judge obviously did homer the last game right and, and seemed to right. be getting a little bit better and with with their timing so it's definitely one of those that uh man you gotta watch it for sure to see uh you know and i think the pressure's on houston for the first time for yeah, the Yankees, they I agree don't with have that. The I, I said hey, Altuve's the, the key. He's got to get Altuve's got to get right for uh, Houston. Bregman's going to bat in the cleanup spot. Alvarez is going to bat in the three hole. Pena in the two hole. But Altuve is a table setter, and he hasn't done anything offensively to date. And he's been pretty good in postseason play. I think for the Yankees, you mentioned the big three, and I think Rizzo being that left-handed bat against all the righties of Houston, he's the he is the the key for the Yankees' success in my book. Yeah, uh, I mean that's that's a good point too. With the you know the, the lefty in the lineup with Judge and Stanton obviously being you know right-handed and yeah. the you know the, the the Astros field kind of plays opposite of New York a little bit where they got the shorter left field where Yankees have the kind of right field porch that carries a little bit more. To me, mm-hmm. it's the left field. So we'll see. I don't know. Uh, I don't I don't think they're going to challenge any of the, the righties in. So Judge and Stanton are going to have to, and, and they do that well. Ju- uh, Judge does. For sure, go the opposite way pretty well, but uh, they, they don't have a lot of holes in their lineup either. So I mean, the, this is the this is the They're whole the best key, teams. Jordy. I mean, look, the NL really, arguably, Darvish made two bad pitches and cost them again. They gave up two homers. You know, I mean, yeah. if the pitchers execute, it's really tough. I don't care yeah. who the hitter is. I so, agree. And, I agree one hundred percent. Hits come at a premium. Really, really uh, been executing for a long time. <laughs> Yeah, Houston's been here for a while. The Yankees hadn't been to the World Series in a long, long time for that f- storied franchise, and they have a history. And I don't think these two teams like one another, do they? Well, I don't think they can. You know, from the sign stealing back with AJ and, and all that in 2017, and the Yankees have lost the last three uh, postseason series. Actually, LCS is right to go to, mm-hmm. to the World Series against yeah. Houston the last three times they've played them. So they don't need to be reminded of that. There's no, you know, 
bulletin board or poster board, you know, locker room stuff being posted up or talked about. They know. I mean, and at this level, you know who you got in the other dugout and what you need to do to to get there to, to beat them. So I think coming off the high, I mean, you know, like you said, they're popping bottles and doing whatever last night, and now they're on a plane playing today. That's not a big deal. I mean, that's what the, the baseball players wired for, right? It's that day-in, day-out grind. And that's normal for them. I think what's not normal is what Houston has to had to go through. So, in terms of like they talk about with the Super Bowl, right? Keep your routine. Houston yeah. hasn't had a routine in two weeks. You're right. I, 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 uh, game one's pit bull. If the Yankees can go in there and steal game one, look out. Does this thing uh, smell seven games to you or less? Of course, it sounds great. I mean, everyone wants it to go seven. I think. Uh, obviously, I feel like. If it goes the longer it goes, I think New York has a better chance. I mean, if they can get yeah. it to that point, I mean, obviously, it would be back in Houston to finish finish it right. out. But I'm just looking in terms of Garrett Cole being able to pitch, you know, multiple times because that's their guy. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, you know, I really, I mean, I really feel like it's going to be, you know, they're going to steal a game there and then win in the Bronx. I can see him over there wearing his pinstripe shirt right now. I can see it. Eddie Arnold, thank you, buddy. Um, great time yep. of the year, man. I love postseason baseball. And this is a this has been a collision course from day one. Nobody predicted Philly versus San Diego. <laughs> Everybody thought it was going to be Yankees mm-hmm. Astros. We'll see if it lives up to the billing, man. Thank you so sure. much. Enjoy uh game one tonight and game two of the Phillies and the Pods. Enjoy. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's uh, first pitch coming up, Jordy. So yeah. Yep, you got it. Thank you, Eddie. I greatly appreciate it. So, again, for the fourth time since 2015, the Yankees and the Astros will meet in the postseason. Game one of the ALCS is tonight. You can listen to it live here on the game. First pitch set for 637. So tune in tonight for the Yankees at the Astros in Minute Maid Park on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Ain't going to be no rainouts. They got the cover. They do it right here. Yankee Stadium, get a cover on your stadium so there's no delays. Come on. Stop all that foolishness. You got more money than the world. Get that portable roof. Every new stadium ought to have a portable roof so we don't have rainouts and all that kind of stuff. You're charging unbelievable dollar amounts for tickets and parking and all that stuff. Make the game conducive for your fans. Get a roof. Get a roof. All right. We'll take a timeout here when we come back. Michael Huguenin from On3.com. Week 7 of college football was amazing. We'll talk a little bit about that, and we'll look ahead to Week Eight, maybe the best games out in the Pac-12. We'll talk about it with Mike Hugan when we return to the Jordy Helper Show here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Uh-oh. Do you know what day it is? Huh? Anybody? It's time for Jordy to break down the biggest storylines in college athletics with Mike Huguenin of On3.com. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? Here is Hump Day with Huguenin. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, what a week seven it was. They rushed the field in Knoxville. They rushed the field in Fort Worth and Salt Lake City. They even did it in Syracuse. I don't know if it was one of the greatest weeks in college football history, but three unbeaten versus unbeaten matchups, three other battles of ranked teams. 
and I don't know how y'all felt, but it seemed to exceed all expectations. My my favorite guest, Mike Huguenin, joins me. What a weekend that was, Mike. How are you? Doing well. And, yeah, it is hard to um, – it's going to be hard to beat that the rest of the way. Uh, just phenomenal games, games that lived up to the billing, <laughs> which is not always the case. But, you know, the Alabama-Tennessee game was, was epic. Um, TCU's comeback was a gigantic deal for them and for the Big 12 as a whole. Um, Utah going for the win. I'm not sure a lot of coaches would have done that. Um, so yeah, it was, it's a lot of memorable stuff. And if you, you know, you you could have watched really good football for about 14 hours last Sunday. I don't think this weekend is going to be as good. But you can still watch 14 hours of college football. <laughs> Let's start with Knoxville, number six, Tennessee, 52, number three, Alabama, 49. Look, Tennessee was terrific. Alabama's never going to get blown out, ever. They're always going to be right there. They had a chance to win the dadgum game. They didn't. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from good old Rocky Top? The, that, that the Tennessee offensive staff seemed to seek out DeMarco Hellams and Tarion Arnold and throw right at them. Um, that, to me, was – I was texting with a – co-worker and at one point i think hyatt had his third touchdown and we're like oh look there's demarco hellams chasing again so mm-hmm. uh, there was very little pass rush that that seemed to affect hendon hooker which is impressive um alabama did i, I would argue alabama did obviously alabama had some issues um the, the pass coverage was horrendous the offensive yeah. line the interior of the offensive line is not that much better if at all better than it was last season. Bryce Young did his part, the offense for the most part. I mean, you, do, you score 49 points, you should win a game. So yeah. with the Alabama defense, that, that secondary just got shredded. So many penalties and so many pe- oh, penalties, exactly. pass interference. It seemed like every time Tennessee threw the ball up there, uh, sets up for you know, what could be an uh, epic matchup number two in a few weeks with Tennessee and Georgia. And, you know, I'd be surprised. Maybe Alabama and Tennessee meet again in the SEC championship game. Maybe they meet again in one of the college football semifinals. I don't know. Um, If they do, do you still think Tennessee wins? That's a good question. I I think Georgia is going to give Tennessee a better game than Alabama did. And I don't mean from a, excitement standpoint, I just think the Georgia defense will uh-huh. do some different things than Alabama did. Um, I think Georgia will be more likely to blitz than Alabama did. Um, I think Georgia will rely more on the run in an attempt to keep the Tennessee offense off the field. You know, you think back to when Florida played Tennessee, Florida was throwing into the end zone on the final play for a chance to win. And if right. you're an LSU fan, you're probably thinking, you know, how did that happen because the yeah. Florida defense is garbage. Well, in that game, Billy Napier knew his defense couldn't stop Tennessee, so he went for it on basically every fourth down. So I think Georgia will do some things. Plus, the game will be in Athens, not at Knoxville. I think the home crowd obviously gave Tennessee a gigantic advantage, especially in some of the false start penalties called on Alabama. But, you know, this Alabama team, this is the second time this season. You know, Texas A&M, actually third time. The Texas game, they kicked the late field goal. So this is a very flawed Alabama team. Um, 
and Tennessee took advantage of one of those, well, I would argue two of those flaws, the secondary and the, the lack of push up the middle. Um, Georgia, I think, will do things differently. Uh, but this right. Tennessee team, clearly and distinctly a national title contender. Mike Huguenin on 3.com. Under the radar a little bit, but number 20, Utah, 43. Number 7, USC, 42. USC looked like they were going to blow Utah out. They scored on their first three drives. But the USC defense allowed five touchdowns on Utah's final six. It was like a ping pong match. You score, I score. You score, I score. Uh, Utah goes for two. Game over. Yeah, and, and Cam Rising had a phenomenal game. Um, he's a really good quarterback. He really is. Um, and their defense as a whole has not been as good as expected this year for Utah. Clark Phillips is a stud corner, but they sort of buckled down in the second half, bowed up, got more physical, made things difficult at times for Caleb Williams. You know, Caleb Williams accounted for five touchdowns and his team lost. So, again, yeah. if, if, you're, if the USC defense were better – the Trojans win, and I don't think you can – there's an issue with the talent on the USC defense. They were counting a ton on transfers, which leads you to think and, frankly, believe that the talent that's there on defense that was left by Clay Helton is not that good, and it's not. So, um, you know, again, you score 42 points, you should win, and – yeah. USC didn't because their defense let them down. But you got to give credit to the Utah home crowd. Um, that is one of the few places west of the Mississippi that truly gets frenzied. Autzen is another one, the, the Oregon home field. But Rice Eccles mm-hmm. is an extremely difficult place to play. Plus, it's a you know the the, the sea level aspect. It's way above sea level. I think USC looked noticeably more tired late in that game than Utah did. But yeah, I think you got to give Kyle Whittingham credit. We scored. We're down one with 47 seconds left. We're going for the jugular, man. We're going for the win, and, and he it. got it. So you got to give him a ton it. of credit because I think the vast majority of coaches nationally, especially since they were playing at home, would have been fine with going to OT. A third and yet still unbelievably scintillating ball game. Number thirteen TCU forty three. Number eight Oklahoma State forty in double overtime. I, I guess TCU's legit. Yeah, great job by Sonny Dykes. I would argue that Oklahoma State had this game under control, and for whatever reason, they seemed to throttle back offensively. Hmm. Um, and, and TCU then took advantage, made some big plays. Um, you know, Derek Mason's the defensive coordinator for Oklahoma State, and yes, his deep again. You score forty points and you should win. That was the big theme for me. Also, you know, three the three ranked three unbeaten ranked teams in the top ten lost, yeah. even though their offenses put up at least forty points. Yeah, I would argue that Oklahoma State's defense was not helped late in the game by its offense because I thought you know. Oklahoma State, hey, get a couple first downs here, and you know, don't throttle back. Stay in attack mode, and they, and they didn't. Whereas USC, I thought, stayed in attack mode, and obviously uh, Alabama did as well, but they sort of had to. But I thought Oklahoma State sort of throttled back too early. But Sonny Dykes, man, um, this is an extremely flawed TCU team. Their best mm-hmm. linebacker is a Navy transfer who went to school at Navy to play lacrosse. The best DB is a transfer. Well, the second best DB is a transfer from Colorado. 
Um, it's 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 a well coached team, and the irony is under Gary Patterson they looked extremely disjointed last year, and this year under Dykes they seem to be extremely cohesive on both sides of the ball. Fun, fun games. Um, another game that was. I don't know what what I didn't know what to expect. Number five Michigan hosting number ten Penn State. Um, Penn State led seventeen sixteen early in the second half, and then all of a sudden Michigan laid down the hammer. The Wolverines ran for four hundred and eighteen yards, and they blew Penn State by twenty four forty one to seventeen. Four hundred eighteen yards. Yeah, and the, the first half was. Total domination by Michigan. Total. I don't think Penn State had but like 101 yards in the first half, yet it was a two-point game because Penn State had a fumble return for a touchdown, and they scored after a 67-yard run by Sean Clifford. Um, But that was total domination by Michigan. Michigan shut down Penn State's running game, and when Penn State's running game is shut down, the, the passing attack is not good enough. I don't know if it's Clifford's fault or if it's the offensive coordinator Mike Yursich's fault, but for whatever reason, yeah, that was total domination. And by, I would argue, midway through the third quarter, you could see what was going on. Penn State's defense was gassed. At mm-hmm. one point in the first half, I think the play's run was like something like 31-6 to because Penn State could not stay on the field in the first half. The first possessions were three and outs, and they were lucky – that they got the fumble return. So Michigan is – their offense is better than it was last year, even without Hassan Haskins. Defensively, I, I don't think they're as good because they're missing those two big-time edge rushers. Right. But they are yeah. a physical defense. Um, that Junior Colson, the linebacker, a kid from Nashville who chose Michigan over a bunch of SEC schools, he's legit. They got some good young DBs. Uh, and, you know, this is the first year for their defensive coordinator, Jesse Minter, who came from the NFL, brought a lot of NFL philosophies with him. Um, and, you know, Michigan's got some smart kids, and they've adapted quickly. He didn't change all that much, but there's still a couple changes. Mm-hmm. But that was a very impressive win. Blake Corum, that kid's a good, good football player. Uh, yeah. Donovan Edwards ain't too bad either. But I still think that the Michigan passing game ultimately is going to be their downfall. It's just I think their passing game is adequate, and that's it. But that was enough Saturday for sure. Before we get to next week, uh, this coming weekend's games, one more. Uh, your thoughts, LSU's 45-35 win over Florida in Gainesville. Yeah, I said last week I thought Florida would win. It would depend on Anthony Richardson. He played, I would argue, Three good quarters out of four, but the Florida defense is it's getting it's bad and it's getting worse. They cannot get off the field on third down. LSU took advantage. Florida is now last in the nation, 131st in third down defense. Jaden yep. Daniels hit some big plays in the passing game, hurt Florida with his legs, as I think that's to be expected now. But I thought that one of the bigger things was, you know, Daniels at times was. In the, in, the, in the preceding six games, had to run for his life. Right. I think Saturday against Florida, he was, didn't have to run for his life. He did a better job of protection, and he ran when it was needed rather than running when he had to. So mm-hmm. um, they, took, they did a, a nice job. Um, the, the, inter, the interception that was wiped out by the 
roughing the passer penalty obviously was big. But I, you know, even if Florida gets an interception, drives down and scores, I think LSU would have said, "Fine, we're going to score right back because mm-hmm. your defense is not good, Florida." <laughs> um, now through these seven weeks of the college football season, give me your three front runners for the Heisman Trophy. Uh, right now, I have Stroud, Hendon Hooker. And I think my third is Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who wow. I think UCLA is sort of the forgotten unbeaten. They sure and are. And I think one of the reasons for that is the entire offseason focus was on, okay, is UCLA going to give Chip Kelly an extension or not? And then you look and realize Dorian Thompson-Robinson's in his fifth year as the starting quarterback, and he's, he's completing 75% of his passes. I mean, what an yeah. astounding number. And the Charbonnet kid is is really good, but Dorian Thompson-Robinson makes that offense go. And that uh, sets up the best game of this weekend, a top-ten showdown between number 9 UCLA, number 10 Oregon. Uh, that's one of five matchups between ranked teams, including a pair of unbeatens in the ACC. So we'll take a quick time out here. We'll continue hump day with Hugan and taking a look at the big matchups this Saturday, week eight of the college football season after this time out here on the Jordy Heltberg show on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros in Southwest Louisiana. Every day is a chamber of commerce kind of day when you're listening to the Jordy Holberg show. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros in Southwest Louisiana. We're back. Mike Huguenin on free.com. We talked about a, a phenomenal week seven of games. Week eight. Here we go again. Has some outstanding, outstanding matchups. Hard to top last week, but we're going to try. Let's start, Mike, with a battle of ACC unbeaten teams. I, I never even thought that Syracuse would be where they are. And it looks like Clemson, looks like their quarterback for the Clemson Tigers is getting better and better each week. Give me your synopsis of this one. Yeah, this one, Syracuse, they changed offensive coordinators. Robert and I uh, left Virginia after Bronco Mendenhall retired and and went to Syracuse. And at the time, you're thinking, dude, what are you doing? Dino Babers is going to get fired. Instead, mm-hmm. they've totally turned things around. Um, Robert and I has turned Garrett Schrader into a legit dual-threat quarterback. They yep. have one of the best running backs in the nation in Sean Tucker. And Oronde Gadsden Jr., whose dad was an NFL receiver for about a decade, is one of the better receivers in the ACC. And the, the thing about Syracuse that folks don't realize, their defense was excellent last season. They yep. play a very aggressive style. They got two good corners, um, one really good linebacker, one really good pass rusher. So this is a this is I think it's going to be a low scoring game. Um, to your Clemson point, obviously Mike, has vastly they, more talent, um, yeah. but you know Uyunglele is playing at a high level. I, I, I'll be honest, I'm still not sold on that guy. Me neither. Uh, maybe Me neither. it's because the preceding quarterbacks were Watson and Trevor Lawrence, but. Uyunglele just sometimes he looks sort of robotic, and this is I think this is going to be a very interesting game for at least three quarters. I think Clemson's defense 
is going to make it hard on Syracuse, but I think vice versa as well. Um, again, Syracuse is extremely aggressive with its defense. Um, this one, Garrett Schrader needs to hurt Clemson with his legs, and he can do that. So um, I don't think Syracuse is pulling the upset, but I think Syracuse can keep this close. And the better day Garrett Schrader has on the ground, the longer this game stays close. Clemson's favored by 12-and-a-half. Syracuse has the top-scoring defense in the ACC, but Clemson's won 37 straight in Death Valley. They only beat Syracuse by three a year ago. I think Clemson wins, but I don't think there's any chance they cover 12-and-a-half. So I, I, I would take don't. the 12-and-a-half. And, and, again, last year's – well, Clemson's offense last year was garbage, but and so was Syracuse's, and, and yeah. both are better this year. Both but I are think, much better. Again, Robert and I – um, you know, you look at also look at, look at Virginia's offense last year. They averaged almost 400 yards a game passing, and look at it this year. That's, that's a horrendous offense. Yeah. So yeah. Robert and I, who, who used to be a longtime BYU guy, um, really is a interesting offensive mind. He's coached the offensive line. He's coached tight ends. He's got a very he, he loves to throw the ball. But he has sort of curtailed that because Schrader's a really good runner. And man, again, Schrader and Sean Tucker, that is a can be a devastating running combination. Right. So Garrett Schrader's legs are going to be huge on Saturday if Syracuse wants to pull the upset. Let's move on to uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma. How does Oklahoma State bounce back after that tough, tough loss in double overtime to TCU? Here comes number 20, Texas, into the fray. They're a different team with Quinn Ewers at quarterback. Uh, the last five meetings have been decided by one score, and the road team has won the last two matchups. Does Texas make it three in a row for the road team? Yeah, I was again. I was. I thought Oklahoma State was the best team in the Big Twelve, and I was sort of flabbergasted that they, they gagged away last week's game. They had, they had it, I thought, and then gagged it away. Um, it, 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 it's interesting, you know. Everybody, it's like Miami. Texas is like Miami. Every oh, they're back. They're oh, no, they're not back. Well, when <laughs> Ewers is back, oh, Texas is back. Well, they really struggled to get past Iowa State last week, um, and, and Quinn Ewers is good. And Oklahoma State's pass defense is one of the worst in the country. But you look a little deeper, a lot of that's because teams fall behind early against Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma State's pretty good against a run. So Oklahoma State has faced the second-most passing attempts per game in the nation behind only Tennessee. Tennessee is the same way. They get out to a big lead, opposing teams throw the ball to try to catch up. I think Oklahoma State's the better team. I think Oklahoma State's going to win. I think Oklahoma State needs a gigantic game from Spencer Sanders, who played an extremely high level for three quarters last week, and then, for whatever reason, they throttled it back. And I think Oklahoma State can do some things to get to Quinn Ewers. Um, Huge road start for Ewers, who hasn't started in a really tough environment yet. This will be that tough environment. Um, I think Oklahoma State gets the job done and they bounce back from a game they should not have lost last week. I got to give this team some love. It's the first time they've been in the top twenty-five for decades. But how about the Green Wave of Tulane, a seven-point home favorite against Memphis? I mean, Tulane. Uh, here's another coach I thought that was going to get fired. Not anymore. Yeah, Willie Fritz is well thought of, but you're right. His teams have been scuffling, but he did a good job in the portal. Um, I think they have. I want to say seven receivers 
who have caught between 15 and 21 passes from Michael Pratt. Mm-hmm. And Pratt's, Pratt's a, a good football player. He's a Florida kid. Um, Tulane is, is well coached. They play well defensively. Um, and the offense is good. And Memphis is uh, coach Ryan Silverfield feeling a little bit of heat. They've fallen yep. a long way in a short time. Yes, they're, they have a chance to go 6-6, six and six, but, you know, that the, the AAC this year is not nearly as good as it was last right. year. So right. Silverfield, Silverfield is feeling some heat. Yeah, and Tulane is a really good story. Um, they, uh, Ivan Mazel wrote a little bit about them today in his column, but, you know, they, they've – they're a team that's benefiting from fifth and sixth year guys because of right. the COVID year, and they've done a nice job in the portal. So, um, and I just think back if, if you know Jeffrey Johnson, who was a four year starter there at nose tackle, he transfers to Oklahoma, and you're like Jeffrey, you left the team that's better than the one you went to. <laughs> so um, that's interesting too because you look at Oklahoma. I know they won last week. Tulane's defense certainly has vastly better stats than Oklahoma's defense. I'm with you. All right, so the wave rolls on. Do I feel sorry for Mississippi State? Are they going to hang in there? Uh, Alabama's a 21-point favorite at home. Tied coming off after a loss, a tough one. Um, A lot of self-evaluation. Saban talking about, hey, if you can't execute, we're going to find somebody else that can. Yeah, but... You know, it's, it, if you Mississippi State last week could not move the ball on Kentucky. They were awful. They were awful. But, but for whatever reason, Brad White has Mike Leach's number. Um, I you look at Alabama's secondary; they got torched last week. Yeah. But I, it's, it, Mississippi State's a vastly different style of play. I think if you ask LSU DBs, you know, LSU did a good job against Mississippi State, got shredded by the Vols. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be the same. I think Alabama got shredded by the Vols, but I think they'll do a good job against Mississippi State because you play a totally different style of defense. Yes. You know, yes. if you watch film of what Tennessee did last week, I'm sure Mike Leach watched it and, and was thinking, well, we don't do any of that stuff, nor will mm-hmm. we. So I'm yeah. thinking if I'm Nick Saban and Pete Golding, we're going to be – our secondary reeked, and yet we're, we're fine because we know what we're going to do against Mississippi State. We're going to keep everything in front of us, make them throw short, and then tackle them. Um, I also the fact think that, that, that quarterback can't run. Put up some pretty good numbers. So yeah, I the think fact that the quarterback Alabama doesn't run like the Tennessee quarterback does, that, that adds a whole new exactly. dimension Will to it. Rogers is so. a sitting duck in the – Yes, yes. Alabama will uh, gain some revenge. Number 17, Kansas State at number 8, TCU. The Horned Frogs are a five-point favorite. They've knocked off three straight ranked teams. Do they make it four straight? Yeah, I think so. Adrian Martinez is the key for K-State. He's played good football of late and avoided turnovers. The key thing for him has been avoiding turnovers, something he did not do at Nebraska. One thing also he did at Nebraska, he, he frequently spit the bit in big games. This is a big game, so we'll see what happens with, with Martinez. But I think, I think K-State, um, they're, they're a solid team. They're not as good as TCU. All right. Uh, here close to home, number seven, Ole Miss 
at LSU. It, it opened up. Uh, Ole Miss was a favorite. Then LSU came became a, a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Now it's moved in many parlors to a pick'em game. Uh, the Rebels have a rushing attack that averages 271 yards per game. Their defense is second in the SEC in sacks with 19. LSU got shredded by Tennessee, looked a lot better against Florida. Looks like the light turned on for their quarterback and, and um, Kayshawn Booty, their best wide receiver. What do you think? Yeah, I think Ole Miss, I know they're 7-0. and uh, I'm not a believer that the schedule has been, man, I don't want to say tissue soft, but maybe paper towel soft. It's not, okay. it, They have not played. They played one good team, Kentucky. I know they right. beat them. They beat them 22-19. Um, I, I think uh, Jaden Daniels can do some stuff with his legs, but I think this one all comes down to the LSU front seven. Um, you know, Jackson Dart has played solid football, adequate football, but he's not, he's not a star. Um, Ole Miss moves the ball with its ground game. Zach Evans, Quinshawn Judkins, the freshman who's been vastly better than anybody thought. Yeah, this yeah. is an Ole Miss team that – if you make them throw, you got a chance. So uh-huh. to me, this one comes down to can LSU stifle the run um, well enough to make Jackson Dart throw it? And I, I'm not sure they can. I think Makai Wingo needs a gigantic game. Um, uh-huh. And the LSU linebackers have to play at an extremely high level. LSU, I think, has given up around, what, 150 yards a game rushing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um if Ole Miss gets 200, I think they're winning. So, to me, this one's all about the LSU run defense. They need high, high, high-level play from their linebackers and in the interior of the defensive line. Because of what you said in the beginning, the fact that Ole Miss has only played really against Kentucky and it was close, and they're going on the road, uh, I, I just I really like LSU in this game. I, I think they, got, they certainly have a chance. Just a gut, and if just Jay, a gut I mean, feeling. Obviously, Ole Miss defense is better than Florida's. Um, but the, the confidence level, my assumption is that Daniels' confidence level is pretty high yes. now. You're right. He, they, they, the, the receivers have to be involved from the beginning. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, again, you look at what, who Ole Miss has played. Kentucky's the best opponent. The second best might be Auburn. And yeah. Auburn's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third best, Georgia Tech or Vandy. Oh, or maybe yeah. Troy. So I mean, it's this. It's they. They've really not played anybody. So right. That's um, right. LSU is going to stress them, I think, with Jaden Daniels' legs. Um, but they need LSU needs to get the receivers involved early. Do shake up the Ole Miss secondary. I think. I think their secondary can be exploited. Um, so that that to me is the key. And you're right. Playing on the road is a heck of a lot different than playing in Oxford. So that's going to be I am game. with you. Mike Hugan and On3.com, I, I guess the game of the week maybe, number nine, UCLA at number 10, Oregon. This is Chip Kelly's best chance to beat his former team. Both team average more than 40 points per game. The last two meetings have been decided by three points. Do you like Chip Kelly going on the road to Oregon and keeping this unbeaten streak alive? Yeah, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Uh, I don't think either defense is is all that. I know the Oregon's played a heck of a lot better since the opening game loss. Still, uh, you know, if it comes down to quarterbacks, who do you trust more, Dorian Thompson-Robinson or Bo Nix? Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Plus, UCLA's got the better running back in Charbonnet. Uh, I think UCLA wins something like 38-35, 
42-38, something like that. I think this will be extremely entertaining, a heck of a lot of fun. I think this is a really good Chip Kelly coached offense, a really good one. The problem is the UCLA defense is is not very good, relying on a ton of transfers. Um, Bill McGovern, the new D.C., came from the NFL, has done some different things. That's not a very good defense, though. So, you know, if, if, the, if Bo, Mix, Bo Nix plays well again, Oregon will win. But I don't think Bo Nix can play four good games in a row. So I'm going to pick UCLA. <laughs> Here's another coach. Everybody said that the game's passed him by. He doesn't recruit, and you say he's going to get. He's going to be gone. And now look at him. <laughs> what happened? Well, I think he 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 did a great job in the portal, and I think the the biggest key though, Dorian Thompson, a fifth year starting quarterback. Yeah. Um, and it's not like he was horrible when he got there. He started as a freshman, so he he's grown up in that offense. Um, and again, he's completing seventy four. of his passes, that's a 12-point jump from last year. So it's obvious he gets it. Um, they got a good receiver, Jake Bobo, who's a Duke transfer. They have a ton of transfers. So, you know, I'll be honest, long-term, I'm not sure about UCLA still because Chip Kelly does not recruit well. But this year's team, what what he's putting on the field right now, this is a really high-level offense with a quarterback who's like an extension of Chip Kelly on the field. It won't be as good as week seven, but week eight has some interesting matchup. Yes. Michael Huguenin, you are the greatest. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. All right. Michael Huguenin on three.com. Ladies, Tune in next week to the Jordy Holberg Show for Hump Day with Huguenin. Here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Jordy Holtberg is known far and wide as the Blonde Bomber for the perfectly feathered golden mane he rocked back in the day at LSU. Just let your soul go. Just let it shine the hair may not be as golden or as long, but Jordy is still making a name for himself. Back to more of the Jordy Holtberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Don't forget the Orleans Saints will take it on the Arizona Cardinals tomorrow night. The game will get you ready for the primetime matchup. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh will be broadcasting live from Twin Peaks on Johnson Street from 4 to 6. So come hang out with the fellas, enjoy the ice-cold beverages and tasty burgers this Thursday night. Tomorrow night as the Saints take on the Cardinals, Twin Peaks eats drinks and scenic views. Special thanks to our guest today, Shamit Dua. Come on, Pels, with your opener in Brooklyn, Preston Guy on the Tiger and the Rebels, Eddie Arnold, game one of the AL Championship Series between the Astros and the Yankees tonight here on the game. And then, of course, Michael Huguenin, hump day with Huguenin, all the highlights of college football. If today is your birthday, October 19th, happy birthday from all of us to all of you. Hope you have some cake, some ice cream, and a present or two. You share your birthday with Evander, the real deal Holyfield, who is 60 years old today. Is he more famous for his fights or the fact that uh, Mike Tyson bit his ear? I think it's unfortunately the biting of the ear, isn't it? 
I get, I don't know. I don't know. All right. So we got a lot on the docket tonight and we'll talk all about it tomorrow. Pelican season opener game one, Houston versus the Yankees. We've got, we got the LSU Ole Miss preview. We got the Saints tomorrow against the Cardinals. Oh my gosh. We are going to be loaded for bear tomorrow with the Schwab coming on. Tony Barnhart, Mr. College football coming on. Um, Chris Roseverglue will preview the Saints and the Cardinals. So, so we'll have it all covered for you tomorrow. My prediction, Zion Williamson gets 30, and the Pels lose by five to Brooklyn. Anyway, James Mesh, thank you so much for all you do. Thanks to all of you for listening in on whatever form or fashion that you do. Thanks to our partners that make it possible each and every day. We really do thank you. Come on back tomorrow, same time, 2 to 4, same great stations, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Until then, I'm Jordy Helpert. Stay thirsty, my friends. Stay healthy. Let's be kind to one another and be happy. So long, everybody.